the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another edition of Colorado Issues. I'm Deanna Williams, and this is a program that's designed to highlight the various organizations that serve the citizens of Colorado. And today, we're going to speak with Amy Miller, who is the Executive Director of the Colorado Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Hello, Amy. Hi, Deanna. I'm glad that you're here. Thanks for having me. And we also have another Amy, Amy Pohl. She is the Communications Director for the organization. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having us. So why don't you begin by giving me an explanation of the Colorado Coalition Against Domestic Violence. What is your mission, and how have you seen that change over the years? Sure. So um, the Colorado Coalition Against Domestic Violence seeks to inspire Colorado to end domestic violence. We were founded in 1977, mm-hmm. so we're celebrating our 40th anniversary this year. Um, we were started by 12 of Colorado's direct service domestic violence organizations, so the local community-based programs that work directly with survivors of domestic violence and their children. And we were founded to help uh, support those organizations and develop the larger network. We have almost 50 domestic violence organizations now in the state of Colorado. We were also created to be a statewide voice Mm -hmm. for those organizations and survivors when it comes to public policy work, um, both at the legislature, in Congress, state government agencies, and to also engage in systems advocacy to improve the response to domestic violence by various systems that individuals and families um, end up having to navigate when Mm -hmm. they're affected by domestic violence. So the CCADV is kind of an umbrella organization over all of the smaller organizations? Yes, we are a statewide membership-based organization. And then we also act as a statewide hub for information for the media on the issue of domestic violence. We do a lot of public education mm-hmm. on the issue, and we have for years done awareness, and now we are at a point where we are really going beyond that to get to a place of trying to prevent domestic violence um, through some statewide efforts that are, are coming just around the corner. Cool. I want to talk to you more about that. Amy, tell me how you've seen um, social media play a role in, in your job and in you know, furthering the efforts of the CCADV? So social media is an amazing tool for us. It allows us to reach folks across the state and, and beyond um, to talk to them about issues related to domestic violence and sexual violence, to educate them, to engage them in conversation. Um, and so we have a very robust Facebook presence and um, a very robust um, Twitter presence, especially during the legislative session, because legislators tend to be on um, Twitter quite a bit. So we really try to leverage those communication tools. What we also do is make sure that the more than 40 domestic violence organizations around the state that Amy talked about also know how to use social media in their communities and raise awareness and move people to action. So whether that action is attending a community event or 
donating money to that particular organization to help those folks support victims and their families. Um, social media is a great tool all around the board for us. To Learning use. more about legislation that's coming up, etc. Absolutely, Very and, good. and different ways they can get involved. Mm-hmm. So when someone thinks of domestic violence or relationship violence, um, they usually think physical abuse. And there are many forms of domestic violence. Why don't you kind of run through those? Sure. So I think that is typically what people think um, when they think about domestic or relationship violence, intimate partner violence. It's called several different things. Mm -hmm. Um, And what a lot of people don't know is that it's a pattern of behavior using a variety of abusive tactics. So physical violence might be one of those, but economic abuse is incredibly uh, common as well, where somebody might um, be put on an allowance and have to return any unused funds with a receipt. Somebody may be prohibited from working or the flip side, they may be required to be the only one that works mm-hmm. in that relationship to support the household. Um, it also involves sexual violence and oftentimes there's sadly a high co-occurrence with child abuse mm. as well. Um, so including child sexual abuse, um, about 40 to upwards of 70 percent levels of co-occurrence of child abuse wow. um, in domestic violence situations. That is shocking. Mm-hmm. And then um, there are um, tactics of intimidation that are used. So it's control and manipulation. Yes. And then on top of all of these different tactics of, of different types of abuse that are used, um, and it could be, you know, destruction of property, et cetera, there is this um, climate of fear, intimidation, of domination, control, and coercion. And that's what really keeps people um, stuck in these situations once they realize they're in such a situation. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody really starts to date another person who they know is abusive. They find that out well into a relationship when it they're entangled. Sure. And when they have feelings for that person already. And then there are good times and there are bad times. And it becomes increasingly difficult to get out. But I think, you know, when people think it's limited to physical violence, they don't realize the context of domination and coercion and control that is happening there. And you you almost literally become a prisoner in that relationship until you're able to figure out a way to get out. And for everybody that looks different, depending on their social, economic, educational, mm-hmm. employment situation. Mm-hmm. And, of course, self-esteem plays a role in the ability to stand up and say, no, you can't treat me like this anymore. And that that question that many people who don't understand abuse think, well, why don't they just get out of that relationship? You know, they don't get the psychological and all of the other factors that you just explained. Um, they don't think about those things as well. Right. Psychological and emotional abuse are common tactics as well. So making somebody, belittling somebody, um, blaming them for the abuse, making them feel like it's their own fault mm. and just cutting them down little bit by little bit over sure. time until they get to a point where they feel like it's their fault and um, they don't have any self-worth left. They're isolated. They don't have any connections to friends and family. The isolation. 
Right. Right. Exactly. So, you know, when you look at the totality of it, you look at the whole picture of what's going on in that situation, you really begin to understand how people um, end up trapped Mm -hmm. in these relationships for quite a long time, Mm -hmm. some longer than others. And for some, it's easier to get out than others. You know, once you're married, you might have a home together, you have children together. Mm -hmm. The more complex that family system or relationship gets, the more challenging it is to get out of that situation. Mm -hmm. And I think we're seeing more and more right now coming to the forefront, survivors who may not have um, legal status or permanent legal status in this country, that's a whole different type of isolation. So they're unable to safely leave that situation for fear that they may be forced to leave this country. Um, They may be forced out of their community. So when you think about um, the tactics that people who are choosing this behavior use, it really looks different for different kinds of people. Um, and so folks, for instance, who are part of the LGBTQ community, there are different tactics that are used to control and manipulate them than for someone who might not be a part of that community. So it's important to remember that abuse looks really different for different survivors. One of the things that advocates across the state of Colorado really know is that we have to be very survivor-centered when we're providing any kind of um, service and response because we know that because domestic violence looks different for every survivor, the response is going to look different for every survivor. So we can't have the same the same plan for everyone. So one of the great services that community-based programs provide is safety planning. So we, we know that leaving a, a, a violent situation is a process, not an event. And part of that process is creating a safety plan. And there's they're going to look different for every survivor. Again, based on maybe economic status, whether they're employed, whether they have children, are those children in school, um, what is their home situation, do they have resources to to find a new place to live, are they going to have to go into shelter, all different kinds of considerations. And so advocates help them come up with a plan that they then are able to put into place to potentially, if they feel safe to do so, be able to safely exit their abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned 70% was the statistic for children being abused in abusive relationships. What are some statistics statewide, just in general, of how many people experience domestic abuse or relationship abuse? Um, Break it down. It's not just women on the other side, too. No, it's not. And just to clarify, it's the, the studies that I'm citing are there are multiple studies showing the co-occurrence of child abuse and maltreatment with domestic violence? So it's up to seventy percent. Okay. So it depends on the the study, but um, it's it's a very high and alarming sure. co-occurrence. So in Colorado, we know that approximately one in three uh, females will experience some for, form of intimate partner violence um, in their lifetimes, and we're looking at approximately one in 10 males will experience that in their lifetime in our state. So if you look at census numbers, that means we're talking about 750,000 females in Colorado at any given time that have directly experienced relationship violence and about 250,000 males Mm. that have experienced it. And that doesn't even take into account the children that are in um, some of those uh, circumstances being exposed. I look at this big picture and I think, first of all, how can you treat someone in a way that you wouldn't want to be treated? 
that's the first thing that comes to my mind. But then I know that people are selfish and sinful and all the rest. You know, you can get into various different reasons why people do what they do. Will an abuser ever change on their own? I mean, I know that's a pretty broad question. I would hope that they would see you're hurting someone. Don't do that anymore. And you wouldn't want that to happen to you. Just the the basics of this is what I see. Do abusers change without help? And how can abusers check themselves and say, wow, this is me. I'm the person that's doing this to my partner, male or female. Um, How can they go about going through the steps of getting better? So we know that people who abuse their intimate partners and or their children do change their behavior. I'm not sure how often that happens without any kind of help. And let me explain why. Um, I mean, first of all, you know, we wouldn't know if somebody hasn't had any interaction with either the criminal legal system or um, a domestic violence offender treatment provider in the state of Colorado. We, you know, we don't know if organically out there, there are people who have never sought assistance who are changing their behavior. But we do know that people can and do change their behavior. So I would suppose that that is probably true. Mm-hmm. And there is also a great incentive to continue on with that abusive behavior. Because it stems from a sense of male privilege and entitlement to dominate and control another person, uh, somebody who you feel you have every right to do that to because there are still notions that males have carried forward from centuries of laws and institutionalized sexism and misogyny that – give them this sense or this right of ownership over their partner and their children. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there's some of that that's true. You know, it's it's gendered in nature. So I think there's some of that that's true when you're talking about people who abuse who aren't who aren't males, um, that there is a status of a lesser human being that is ascribed to people who identify more with a female uh, gender role. So a lot of this is also tied into gender role stereotypes and who has more worth, who has less worth. And that's how you get into this um, context, right, of mm-hmm. control and domination because there's, there's a right or an entitlement to treat another person in that way. They don't deserve any better than that. You know, that's my property, essentially, and I can do what I want with it. I There's that sense of ownership and possessiveness, which is what you see a lot of times, especially in um, really tragic uh, domestic violence situations that result in, in homicide or a homicide-suicide or a familicide where the entire family um, is murdered and then the person who's abusive kills themselves. You know, it is that sense of jealousy and possessiveness and ownership over another person. Mm -hmm. So when you think about all of that and where that behavior comes from, it's socially rooted. So that means to us that it's not inevitable behavior, that it is preventable behavior. Mm-hmm. And right now, as long as we have a social climate 
in Colorado where people are largely tolerating domestic violence or relationship violence and not creating this sort of sense of pressure on people who are choosing to abuse their partners, that that's not okay, um, and that they need to ask for help and they need to change that behavior until we see that sort of, that social norm shift in the way that, for example, norms have shifted around smoking in public or use of seatbelts or whatever. It's a similar sort of situation where we know that we can shift that norm to one of – uh, intolerance by people in the community to mm-hmm. this behavior. That puts pressure on people then even more and more than they might already be experiencing by friends and family to mm-hmm. change their behavior. And it's especially important to remember that we think around one in 16 men chooses abusive behaviors in their relationships. So the vast majority of men don't choose this behavior. So again, that's how we also know that it's not inevitable behavior. Mm-hmm. However, Just because you're not one of those people that's not choosing to engage in that behavior directly with your partner, you're not off the hook, right? And so you have a responsibility to make sure that in your community, when someone does choose to engage in that behavior, that it's simply not tolerated. Right. You have to step up. Now, are you saying that Colorado has an environment of looking the other way? Yes, I think – I think largely that's true. You know, sure, we have responses, right, to domestic violence in our state. Um, We have intervention by community-based domestic violence advocacy organizations. We have intervention by the criminal legal system, by the civil legal system, by the child welfare system, housing. I could go on. Mm -hmm. However, we don't have, by and large, community engagement, So engagement, like grassroots engagement by Mm -hmm. the public, Mm -hmm. uh, who has stepped up as upstanders to not just stand by and watch while these things play out with their coworkers, with their family members, with their friends, but actually being educated enough to know how to take action and then taking action. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't say that it's for lack of interest or lack of concern, but I think it's that we haven't been able to deeply educate people enough on what domestic violence is. Going back to the question you asked me earlier, most people thinking about it as physical violence only, that's as far as we've gotten. We have to, we have to go deeper than that to help people understand what it is we're really dealing with. And at that point, we can work with people to help them understand then what actions they can take once they have a good enough understanding right, of what the issue is. No one wants to meddle in someone else's business and things like that. But when it comes to things that are so serious, it's time to step up and, and, your organization is showing people how to do the right thing at the right time. So you teased earlier that you have a new statewide initiative coming up. So tell me about the impetus for that decision, which I'm sure is some of what we're discussing here, um, when it will launch and what we can expect to see. Sure. So we have a campaign that we've been working on for a couple of years now. It's called Stand Up Colorado. <clears throat> it's a statewide collaborative campaign. Uh, involving um, many community-based organizations around the state that will be project sites to work with communities at a local level to engage them in the issue um, and some other statewide partners um, and 
government partners like the Denver City Attorney's Office, for example. And that's really where this campaign originated from. Uh Um, It is based on a campaign out of the country of New Zealand called It's Not Okay. And one of the staff members of the Denver City Attorney's Office got to do an exchange Uh of information between Colorado and New Zealand. When she went to New Zealand, they were just starting this It's Not Okay campaign. It really focused on three different phases. One is that deeper education around the issue, then working to engage people who are abusing their partners to change their behavior instead of the opposite, which is what we've tended to focus on, focus on victims and what victims need and how victims get out of the relationship. Mm-hmm. Never really getting to the actual cause of the problem, which is the person who's choosing to use the abusive behavior and then all the social conditions that support that. And then the third phase of that is engagement of the community in the issue. So it's been very successful in New Zealand, and we believe that through this campaign, we will affect behavior change And we will affect change in social norms around the issue of relationship violence in Colorado. How are you affecting the change? How are you encouraging people to take that action? So we will be running ads, video ads, across a variety of platforms, social media, television. We have a YouTube channel. And... Those ads are first focused on that deeper education around the issue of relationship violence. So we'll really be touching on all those different tactics. And at the end, we use the core message of the campaign, which is it's not okay ever, but it is okay to ask for help. Mm -hmm. And so a really non-shaming, non-blaming approach, which speaks to anybody who's affected by relationship violence. So you might be the one choosing to abuse your partner. Um, you might be that partner that's being abused. Or you might be a friend, family member, coworker, um, neighbor who's who's seen it, who realizes that you have people you care about who are experiencing this, and you don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. It's not that you don't want to do anything, but you don't want to make things worse. Maybe you think you're interfering in somebody's private business, or you are afraid um, that you are going to alienate those people um, from your life and, and further isolate them if you try to try to intervene. Mm-hmm. And so um, we're actually launching on October 1st. We'll be down at Union Station mm-hmm. um, between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. So we'd love for people to come out um, and stop by and see what the campaign's all about. But through those actions that people can take, either if it's talking with somebody you know and encouraging that person who's being abusive to get help, So people can call in also if they need ideas about how do I talk to somebody about this? Or I think this is what's happening in this situation, but I'm not sure. Let me tell you what I've observed. Yeah, how do you? And let's talk through it, you know? Friend? Right. It's like, by the way, I've noticed your wife has bruises on her arms. Right. How do you go about that? 
And the great thing about the Stand Up Colorado campaign is we will have a very active website with all of those tools built right in. So if you're someone who isn't sure how to broach that topic with a friend or family member, you can go to the website, go to the I Want to Help um, section, and you'll get tons of tools on um, how to know, how to approach the conversation, how to keep yourself safe, how to keep those other people safe. Um, Because I think... Uh, knowledge is power, and people feel really powerless when they're just not really sure what to do. And as Amy said, they might have a lot of other considerations, and they're they're worried about different things. That website is going to provide those tools. Down the line, we're going to have an opportunity for um, the public to be able to ask a domestic violence offender management provider questions about that, and he'll be able to respond directly to those questions. So that's a feature that's going to come a little bit later than the launch, but something that will really help the public be able to take some action and feel empowered to talk with their friends and family about these issues. So what's the URL for that website? So it's going to be standupcolorado.org, all spelled out. We're also going to have um, a Facebook page, um, a Twitter site, Um, an Instagram account, all of which will be kept um, updated and will also um, provide an additional resource for people to get in touch with the campaign. Wonderful. There will be a chat feature, too, available through the website. So we're trying to provide multiple platforms for people to be able to connect with experts through the campaign so that if they want to help uh, spread uh, deeper education around the issue in the community through a group that they already have, they can be involved that way and they can connect with one of our local member organizations that provides direct services in their community and already provides outreach and education in their community. I just wanted to add that in addition to being an individual who might want to take action, perhaps your business wants to take action, and that's an excellent opportunity. And again, there will be resources on the website. Perhaps you're a bar in town. We might have coasters that you can order with the messaging on there and the hotline number so that people at the bar, um, maybe they see some sort of behavior that they're concerned about and they're not sure what to do. The coasters will be available. Um, If you're a hairstylist and you're talking to someone in your salon that might have um, be experiencing um, relationship violence, we'll have resources available for those folks, posters to put up. So lots of ways for not just individuals to get involved, but also for businesses to get involved because they have a lot of influence in their communities. And that's across the state of Colorado. This is great. Mm -hmm. This is really good. Ladies, thank you so much for your time and for what you're doing. It's very unique. It's a unique approach to the issue that's been around forever. So Amy Miller and Amy Pohl of the Colorado Coalition Against Domestic Violence, thank you both for being here today. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you.